0: regularly experience stress with half recognising that they are too stressed. We need to talk about anxiety. This autumn, we'll be looking at some of the different forms of anxiety and the issues that can be on our minds. Jesus had a lot to say about our mental well-being and we believe his gospel is the very best solution to dealing with anxiety.
1: It's, heartbreak- I mean, it's, heart- it's heartbreaking for me. I come back and I look at my own children who, and I think, wow, what's worrying about the future, what's in store for them, and, and again, try and tell myself, you know, my anxiety then, then says, I want to solve that, I want to, I can be the cure for that, and, and then comparing, you know, then I think, I have to think, and actually, the gospel is the only answer for that, Uh, and the Bible is really clear on that, but that can be a very difficult step to take. Um, I want to be able to fix this because we're told we can fix things. We can told we can we can make ourselves better. Um, Self improvement programs, CBT courses, medication. Um, there's all these cures out there, you know that they do work to a degree, um, but they can't they can't bring healing. Like I've seen the gospel bring healing. Good to see you. If you're new here, I'm Joel, and I've been away for a couple of Sundays, so uh, it's nice to be back at least for me. Um, So uh, nice to see you all. I was in um, Canada last week in the church that we planted a few years back, Grace City in Ottawa, and then the weekend before in Mosaic Church in Berlin. Uh, I wish I had time to tell you today uh, some of the encouragement um, that I've enjoyed just being with those churches and seeing the progress. There is so much to say and so much that is encouraging. Um, And you guys need to know about it, actually, because Emmanuel is playing a part in, in global mission as we help to establish churches in these other cities. We are, we are on an adventure together as a church and you are playing a part. As as a member of this church, if you're, if you're part of Emmanuel, your, your involvement here, your serving here, uh, your giving here, your praying here, your encouraging and supporting is bearing fruit here in this city but also in cities beyond. And I want to say a, a sincere thank you and well done um, I really uh, look forward to opportunities of telling you more about the difference that it's making because it's such a joy and, and an adventure. So just big encouragement. Uh, I've missed you guys. It's good to be back here. And to get back into this series, which we're nearly the end of, we're finishing it next week with anxiety about the family. Uh, with Christmas coming, we figured that would be a good subject to do. Um, and then this penultimate one today is anxiety with reference to doubt. Anxiety and doubt. Uh, these two things belong together. Uh, doubt is often a cause of anxiety, and I suppose vice versa, that they're often linked together. And we all have to deal with the issue of doubt in some way, doubting the people that we most trust, doub- doubting our, our own principles, doub- doubting our very selves. But obviously, doubt comes into uh, the subject of our relationship to God, a great deal as well, because we will at least sometimes need to deal with the issue you know, how, how, how confident am I in the God of this book, who I can't see? How, how can I be confident in Him? How can I be at peace, trusting with a restful heart, confident that He's going to keep His promises, that He's there, that He's faithful? And and when we try to do that, it will sometimes be a battle because doubts will come. And how do we handle those? Well, we need this book. We need the the words of this book to help us and bring light to our feet. And we're going to do that by going to Matthew chapter 14. We've been in Matthew quite a lot this year. So if you're an Emmanuel, your Bible should just sort of open itself up there. Uh, Chapter 14, and we're going to read from verse 22 to 33. Uh, A story that will be well known to many of you, Um, and uh, if it's new to you, I think you'll find it a very compelling story Uh, anyway. So we're going to have the words come up on the screen, and the story will be read to us. So it's Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33.
0: Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God.
1: Let's just pray together briefly. Father, we thank you for your kindness in speaking to us and bringing light into the darkness of our lives. We pray that you would now bring light by your Holy Spirit so that these words of scripture would penetrate our darkness and and reveal the glory of your Son and causing us to have confident trust in him. Help us in our doubts, in our anxieties, Lord, in all the things that trouble our confidence in you. Lord, restore us to stability and help us, Lord, to to live in the good of your promises. I pray today, in Jesus' name, bring peace to our anxious hearts by dealing with our doubts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Maybe you have hoped for a killer answer to every doubt that you struggle with. Uh, Doubt might be something you, you deal with a lot and it might get to a wearying level. You can, you can be so tired of constantly questioning and uh, undercutting your own uh, convictions that you just get, get to the point where you think, oh, if only all these doubts would be gone. If only this problem of constant inward questioning and worrying about what, what can I be sure of? What can I really know? How can I, how can I trust? It can get so tiring that you think, if only, if only God would just show up in such a, an overwhelming way that all my doubts are kind of drowned. If, he, if only He would just kind of flood them away. Um, perhaps if He could just do one really extraordinary thing in my life, just one, one, just. Killer answer that just dealt with doubts forever and ever. And then I would never have this problem ever again. I reckon many of us will have thought exactly that. Maybe we've even specified it. Maybe we've even said it to God. God, if only you would just... Show. Jesus, I will, be, I will never doubt again if you would just show up in my bedroom right now and read me a story. And then I will never, ever doubt you again. Um, the reality is that in this story, we have a man who surely he got the best Best possible persuader that anyone's ever had this man Peter he, he sees Jesus walking on a storm literally walking on the sea I, and he knows it's him I mean, it's, it's phenomenal it's, it's clear it's demonstrable it's happening before his eyes his senses are involved he's plainly alive and awake uh, if, if ever a man needed proof, this guy's got it. It's phenomenal how clear this is. And, and then not only does he see it, he, he, he kind of has the crowning experience of joining Jesus on the sea. Uh, You know, he gets to tap dance with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. They they get to have this extraordinary moment that no one in history, as far as we know, you know, they weren't like people kind of charging for rides to come up and dance with Jesus. This was this was a one-off thing. This one man in history ever got this particular opportunity, and it was this guy. And so you'd think, surely of all people that's ever been. This guy's never going to struggle again with doubt. He is going to have firm convictions. And yet the story goes, as we've just heard, within moments, he is not just doubting. He is flailing around under the waves, panicking for his life. Lord, save me. He's overwhelmed with doubt to the point of death. Within seconds and surely the story teaches us many things but one of them is just the, the way that this, this monster of doubt this problem of doubt can assail us even after we think after we think we've had that killer solution we think that doubt has been dealt the death blow I will never have this problem again I'm afraid that's not quite how it works Because if we imagine that doubt can get solved by something happening out there, outside of myself, we've we've perhaps failed to realize that that doubt is something that's all tangled up inwardly. Doubt is something that happens in here. And it can happen in here in spite of, apparently, objective persuasion happening out here. Things can be overwhelmingly clear out here but still we can be muddled very muddled dangerously muddled and that's definitely a lesson for us and it's helpful for us that God's preserved this story we we have Peter as such a helpful model for us in reality this is this story you could almost give it as a kind of microcosm of Peter's life he's 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 such a helpful story for me in the Bible. I don't know about you. Peter for me is one of the most comforting and encouraging stories I can think of. I find it fascinating that Jesus seemed to particularly choose him. You know, We have quite a lot about Peter. He's in all four of the Gospels. He's in the book of Acts. He's mentioned in the letters. He's even got a couple of letters that he wrote. But we don't uh, benefit just from the fact he gets so many mentions. We benefit from the fact that his personality is so clearly expressed in the Bible. If you've read the New Testament at all, you feel like you know Peter, don't you? He's quite a rounded personality. You feel like, yeah, I kind of get that guy. I kind of feel like I know Peter. And I think the reason you feel like you know Peter is because you, you kind of relate to him. He's so human. He's just like you and me. With all of our resolve and all of our confidence in ourselves that can rise up to a climax for a while, we can start thinking that we're going to be a good disciple, that you know, I'm a strong believer, I'm an achiever, I'm going to do great things, I'm full of ambition. And then within moments, he's flat on his face. And it happens again and again. He has a kind of cycle that goes around in his life again and again. We see Peter at his apparent best and his apparent worst, uh, very quickly. It's like a, it seems like the normal thing, sadly, with him. But I think this story has been given to us partly for our encouragement. Jesus seemed to choose him, even as a kind of figurehead person in the early church. Jesus, in just two chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, says, You are Peter, the rock, and on this rock, his name P- Peter, means rock. On this rock I will build my church, Jesus says. He's kind of identifying Peter with the very foundation of his global enterprise. He's saying, Peter, my whole plan for planet Earth, the church that I've come to establish, I'm going to build it around you and it's going to be characterised by your, your relationship with me. What, what, you, what you've come to know and what you've come to be that's going to shape the future of my church and, and when you look at that you think really Jesus you really want to build it around this guy he's so weak he's so impetuous and impulsive he's so subject to fluctuating emotions and, and, and incredible uh, sort of heights of, of self confidence and then languishing in the depths of despair and, 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 and disappointment with himself and Jesus is like yeah, yeah, I go, I'm going to choose just that guy. I want, I want every loser in history to feel that they can be part of my people. I'm, I'm going to show my greatness. I'm going to show my strength by choosing the weak, choosing the unimpressive. I'm going to choose them and I'm going to show what I can do in them. So we have stories that humiliate me. I I can imagine Peter, when the Gospels were being written, thinking, do we have to include this story? (laughs) But it's for our good that they're in there. They're deliberately in there, so you and me can find comfort for our struggles with doubt, our seasons of anxiety, which we have, don't we? So what we can do is just unpack them a bit and see... What goes wrong for Peter and how can we learn from his journey in this story? And I'll just slice it up into three key things that kind of overlap. It's really three things that are actually, it's more like one thing looked at from three angles. So we're kind of trying to deconstruct, kind of sort of get to the, 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 the shape, the anatomy of Peter's failure in this story to understand our own failure and to be strong as a result. First of all, his temperament. Second of all, his, his emotions and how he handles them. And then thirdly, his indecision, his indecisiveness. So first of all, his temperament. Bear in mind that Peter does have a kind of classic impulsive temperament. All of us as humans are subject to different kinds of temperament. And, and all of us have weaknesses that come with our temperament. We're not all the same we have slight differences in the things that that spark us off the things that motivate us we're differently energized by different things we're differently tempted by different things we are the things that really tempt and distract and mess me up if i allow them to for some of you they don't even get close you don't even notice them. They don't even come on the radar. You just, you just carry on regardless. And vice versa. There'll be things that, that you are thrown by that I don't even notice. They just don't, they don't bother me because we're wired very differently. And that's true in, in the smallest of societies. Even in a family, I notice it with my children that they're differently wired. They're affected differently by different things. Me and my wife, very differently wired. And everyone in this room has a different temperamental makeup and it will leave you susceptible to particular struggles and particular kinds of trial and temptation that you would be really wise to be aware of. So actually, the first simple lesson is self-awareness. Knowing what we're like can be a big part of the battle. Knowing what's likely to trip us up and watching out for it is important. Knowing your temptations, knowing how you struggle. If you struggle with doubt, particularly, you can, you can even get to the point where you feel lonely. Doubts can be things that make followers of Jesus feel ashamed of themselves. Some of you, perhaps you're not Christians. You're just here investigating Christianity. You're just listening and learning and wondering about Jesus and looking into this. And for you, having lots of questions about whether Jesus is real or not is part of the journey, and hopefully you're not feeling ashamed of that. I hope that you don't feel at all embarrassed and awkward about asking us questions. If you're doing Alpha, for example, we want you to ask questions. It gets more annoying if you don't. We want you to feel really free to say, yeah, I don't get that bit, and that just doesn't make sense, and explain this to me. That's part of the whole process. But for people who become Christians... It can feel shaming and shameful to have questions. You can feel like you're you're doing something wrong. Am I allowed to ask this? I'm not allowed to have doubts, am I? I shouldn't ever doubt. It's wrong. And you can feel ashamed to the point of silence, and then your doubts make you lonely, and you feel stuck with your own weird problems, like it's all in your mind and nobody else's mind, isolated by your doubts. And that's a massive mistake, and it's, I think it's a clever trick, actually. <laughs> doubt plays tricks on us. It tells us to keep it to ourselves. No, no Doubt needs to be actually something we, we wisely and carefully, in the right context, we do process with other people, knowing that it's normal. Questions, struggles, I don't really get this, those kinds of issues that we have with the Bible, with Jesus... Are things that we mustn't be ashamed about and worried that in themselves they are evil. Questions can actually be a, a very important tool. They're one of the things God might have given you. You may have a very questioning mind, you may have the kind of mind that isn't easily satisfied with glib answers, that doesn't allow for sort of trivial, shallow, quick responses but wants to go deep and understand it more fully. And if you're like that, that in itself is not a bad thing. It may just be the way God's made you. And so you you need to investigate openly with a humble attitude. Uh, Allow your doubts to to draw you towards truth. And and keep questioning and and question with a humble attitude, ready to, to be persuaded by good persuasive arguments. Don't hide it though. Don't be ashamed of it. And don't imagine that your doubts cut you off from the rest of the world. This book is full of people who struggle with doubt. Many, many of the people in this book are more like you, if you're one of these types, than you might realise. There are some obsessive second-guessers in this book. There are some, some ob- obsessive questioners and what-ifs people. Are you a what-if person? What if this? What if that? And you make your mind up, and then you make it up again. Then you check it again. You think, I wonder if I should have. You're not alone. I want to tell you that you're not alone. Can can you hear me? I want. I hope that's helpful for some of you. It's not a bad thing in itself. You can make it a bad thing by allowing it to make you bitter and cut yourself off from church and cut yourself off from God. Don't do that. No, no, allow that to drive you more into the arms of the church and say, help me, I want to understand this better. You'll find that your questions have been asked by other people before you over hundreds of years. And if you are one of those people, then you have uh, actually, you don't have to be lonely. You can look forward to a life of the adventure of discovering truth and studying and understanding God's word, sometimes to a deeper level than other Christians, because your mind drives you there. And that's a wonderful thing. Don't be ashamed or afraid of it. Don't cut yourself off because of it. Understand yourself. Understand that aspect of your temperament. The second thing is his emotions. This is so important for us. You see, Peter has had an emotional experience in this story, to be Sure. But he doesn't realise how much he's judging everything through his emotions now. He's he's judging the waves and the wind and the storm entirely through his emotions and not through persuasive reality, through information, through clear facts, through truth. He's he's allowing something that's, that's, that's not new information... To become more powerful and debilitating and destabilizing than it should. Because he's living by emotions and, and not being steadied by the truth. What do I mean by this? Well, think about it. He's had a night on the open sea with his. It says, on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus turns up, and they think he's a ghost. So it's, all, it's been a pretty emotional night, to be sure. They're kind of in a boat, in a storm. you ever been in a, in a boat, in a storm, all night? I can imagine it's pretty terrifying, especially a little kind of fishing boat, big storm. In, you know, you've, you've been at Emmanuel, you recently would have heard a similar story earlier in Matthew's Gospel of a storm. These things were dangerous, these storms. And it's terrifying, and they're rowing against the wind, as it says here, and the, the waves are buffeting the boat. All of it is exhausting, physically and emotionally. It's wearying. And then they see Jesus and they think he's a ghost. Everything about this story is just, whoa, it's just wiping them out. It's exhausting. How much of this can they take? Talk about a dramatic, exhausting, emotional night. But maybe Peter hasn't understood how how far his emotions have gone, how far they've been stretched. Because what happens, as we've discovered, is that he sees Jesus' power, Jesus' supremacy over the storm, shown by, by the fact he's walking on it. I think Jesus wins. Storm versus Jesus, Jesus wins. He's seen that. He's seen it as clear as day. And not only has he seen it, he's taken part in it. He himself was planted his foot on H2O, and he's walking around, it's Everything about this should persuade Peter to every possible level, my Jesus, he's in charge. He is trustworthy. He is supreme. He is good. He likes me. He's on my side. He's looking out for me. This is amazing. I can be so sure of this. I am utterly persuaded it's true. It's true. But then it says, he saw the waves. He so saw the wind, which is interesting language. You know, he, he saw the effect of the wind on the waves. He sees the storm. And he was afraid. So all of his confidence in the supremacy and the trustworthiness of Jesus disintegrates. Why? because of new information, no, no. It's not like suddenly Peter's thinking, oh my word, there's a storm. He spent the whole night backing against the storm. None of it is new. So what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. We are getting to see the nature of doubt, that it makes you question things that you know. Somebody who's met Jesus truly and come to a place of persuasion that he's real, that he's truly risen from the dead, and that that you're right to trust him, that he's faithful, that he's truly alive and he's good and his word is true. Somebody who's got to that point will still at least be tempted sometimes to, to feel the impact of present circumstances more than the supremacy of Jesus. What you know about Jesus can suddenly seem outranked in your mind by what you know about the week you're having, by what you know about the, the fact that your prayers haven't been answered this month, by the fact that you're going through a particular time of trouble or hostility and opposition or sickness or poverty. These circumstances can feel more real than the Jesus that you met weeks ago, months ago, years ago. You met him, you know he's real. But stuff I'm hearing, stuff I'm feeling, maybe it's even difficult arguments and discussions that you're having with friends who aren't Christians or things that you've read in the, in the magazine or on a website or watched on a documentary. That they're, they're toppling you, they're making you worry, they're causing you all kinds of anxiety. But if you stopped and considered... Does this ultimately take away from what I actually know about Jesus? You might find it doesn't do anything of the store. You, you might find that the actual, the, the actual information that you've got from your experience or from the challenge to your faith is tiny. It's, there's no new information, really. There's nothing new about it. It's old information. It's stuff I dealt with before I became a Christian. I became a Christian having decided that those objections don't count. But I'm kind of going back to them anyway. I'm kind of going back to the waves. I'm looking at the waves when only moments ago I realised Jesus had triumphed over the waves. But we still go back to the waves. Isn't that weird? Well, that's what doubt does. That's the nature of it. It's going back to investigate things that have already been decided. It's like after winning the the FA Cup final convincingly, I mean thrashing the other team in both halves and you, you, you actually take the trophy and just about to lift it up and you think, I'm really not sure if we won. Can we just go back on the pitch and just make double sure that we really won? It's irrational, but it's perhaps not about being rational, doubt. It's kind of more to do with emotions. To do with just sometimes we're just exhausted. Sometimes we just worry because we 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 we've not realised that our emotions are in turmoil and it in doubts dress up as being very intellectual and sophisticated. Doubt comes to us saying, "Ah, oh, you haven't thought about this. Ah, oh, you never thought about that." And our emotions get caught up with, oh gosh, yeah, I'm not sure, I feel really cornered by that argument. I feel, oh, I'm terribly troubled by that problem. Not necessarily realising it has more to do with our emotions than it has to do with anything to do with truth. So we need to just see through it sometimes. And the way to see through it is actually to say, well, what is the actual fact here? What is the actual question here? If you have doubts, if you have struggles with doubt... Please be sure that it's not just you going back over territory that you've already won. If it is new information, like a genuine question, you think, "Ah, oh, I've never thought of that. That's a really difficult question. That really throws my faith. Can I ask you, first of all, to check that it really does? Make sure that it really does. Really, invest, turn it into an actual question. Boil it down. What is the actual nature of my doubt? What is the actual question I've got? I would even suggest writing it down. If you can't turn it into a written question with a pen and paper, I reckon you haven't got an actual doubt. I reckon you've just got subjective uneasiness. And there's a very big difference. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm just saying it's not a very substantial reason to stop trusting Jesus when you can turn it into a question with a pencil and paper, you might find when you look at it, oh, that's actually quite an easy question to answer. I've done that before myself. I've done that with other people. I've said, what's your actual problem? Tell them, let's talk about it. I'm really struggling with doubt. Well, let's talk about it. Get them to talk it out, talk it out. And as they're talking, I can almost see them answering it themselves. Wait a minute, you actually know the answer to this question yourself. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it doesn't, It's not as bad as I thought not as bad, oh, yeah, no, I think I, I do understand this. We, we don't understand the significance that emotion can play in, in this whole process. And may I say this as well, Just especially I guess for 21st century people like you and me, we, we, we generally speaking, we are pretty weak at mental construction. What I mean by that is we, We tend to evaluate a lot of things, including our big life decisions, quite often just on emotional experience, on emotional impact. We don't necessarily excel at constructing a kind of a a house for the mind. Jesus even talks in Matthew chapter 7 about that if you if you follow my teaching you will be like a wise man who built his house upon rock Jesus talks about obeying him and following him as con- is like construction it's like building construction what do you need with construction time patience a plan you need to know where things are built what to build with what to put where what not to put where you need you need you need to be systematised, you actually do need a system. What I'm saying is if you follow Jesus, part of your discipleship, part of your following Jesus, listen to me, please listen to me, 21st century millennials, because this is not necessarily a strength, please listen to me. One of your your big challenges is going to be building... What sorry for the ugly words, but a systematic theology. And some of you think I just swore at you. <laughs> I mean it though. You actually do. You need you need, after years of following Jesus, to have got somewhere in knowing how to understand and interpret the teaching of this book. How to understand what it actually means, how it fits together, how it's cogent and consistent. How, how this fits with this and how truth is consistent and flows well because otherwise honestly you will tend to be a bit more easy to blow over the wind will take you out quicker and you'll, 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 you'll evaluate everything just on the emotional impact of it so we, we as a generation are more likely to evaluate even a sermon on Wow, that was really powerful. And sometimes I've heard people say, yeah, that was really powerful." And I will say, "What? Well, what actually was it about then? What did it actually mean?" Oh, I don't. I don't know what it was about, but it was so powerful. I'm, I'm only. I'm not even exaggerating. That is honestly. I've, people. It's just. It's just the way we're wired. We think like this as a culture. Sometimes it's like that sermon was really powerful. And then that sermon was also really powerful. And then you, you realise these two sermons flatly contradict each other. But they're both really powerful. Because we're not evaluating things on whether they're true, whether, they can be, whether they're persuasive, whether they hold up, whether they make sense when they don't feel powerful. A few weeks later, when you just read them on a page and the preacher's not there doing it you know, with the funny stories and the jokes and the bit of tears, and that, that's all gone. It's just, is it true or not? Oh, that doesn't matter. I want to know whether it's powerful. I want to have an experience. My friend, that isn't good enough. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an experience. I'm not saying it's not important for sermons to be powerful. We, that's another sermon. That's important. But hear me, that isn't good enough on its own. It is not. And you, if you follow Jesus, you better get this. I'm deadly serious. You have got to get this. You've got to start taking truth seriously whether it feels powerful or not. You've got to let truth be true. That you can cut your hand on, it's true, it's real. You've got to get to that so that you're you're not so easily broken down by, I don't feel it this week. I don't really feel the power of Jesus this week. It doesn't feel so real this week. Is he true or not? If you've become persuaded that he rose from the dead, He will have risen from the dead next year as well and the year after that. It will still be true, whatever circumstances and emotions you fluctuate through. So we've got to get a little bit more patient, a little bit more constructive, a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more systematized. Not so that we can be boffins, but so that we can be safer. We can withstand real life, because real life is hard. It's full of storms, right? Real life is difficult. It will hit you. It will smash you. You want to follow Jesus? I tell you, you will be tempted not to. Loads of times. This week, some of you, what are you going to do? Just go, oh, I don't know, I, feel. I just want to feel a bit more. Not good enough. It won't be good enough. You need to be patient and take this book. Take other books. If we ever recommend a book from this platform, which we sometimes do, I hope you take that seriously. If we recommend a podcast, if we say, yeah, you should learn this and listen to it and spend some time on this, what else are you going to spend your time on? What? What's better than that? If I'm following Jesus, I want to get to know him. I don't want to get to know what he says. I want to get to know the truth. Jesus said, you become my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not the experience, the truth will set you free. Do you know the truth? Are you knowing the truth? Are you making it your business to know the truth? How much truth have you learned this week? Are you learning tr- Are you patiently going into it, digging into it deeper? You must. This is City of Brighton needs Christians who dig deep. It does not need trivial Christians. It doesn't. It doesn't need flimsy Christians who get blown away by any difficulty that comes. It needs Christians who are driven into the soil, into truth, dug in deep, got some, some, some kind of ice-cold depth you know, like the soil is hardened around the tent peg. You know, it's like I'm driven in. It's like, I just you can't move me, I'm, I've got this. I'm digging in deeper all the time. Those who live that way will be harder to persuade out of their conviction, harder to throw. And we aren't strong on that as a generation. Just the political debates for the election will teach you that. Generations gone by. Hours of careful debate by politicians who would have spent literally hours deconstructing each other's arguments in front of crowds of thousands who came out to watch in previous generations. These days, about five minutes of slanging matches on telly. That's about it. Five minutes if you're lucky. On the day programme, it's about 20 seconds. little soundbite. Is that supposed to be persuasive? Our culture is seemingly satisfied with triviality and it's not good enough. If we want to follow Jesus, we need to go in deep. So that's the issue with Peter. One of them is just this emotional kind of uh, fluctuation. He's not quite seen. And the third thing, very quickly, is indecision. And James says something about this. In, in his, later in the New Testament, James talks about doubt being, by nature, double-mindedness, indecisiveness. And what, he, what it means is that faith does not just involve speculation. Faith isn't somebody saying, I want to investigate this and understand it more. Faith involves the will. Faith involves decision. Faith involves putting some options to one side and choosing others. That's got to happen with faith. Your will must be involved. And you can do quite well in our culture without engaging your will. You can, you can do that thousands of people are very successful in our culture without actually ever choosing to do much <laughs> just good at you know commentary we write blogs you know we tweet we 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 become journalists we we're very good at you know discussing other people's actions and pointing out how ridiculous they are but not actually making any actions ourselves you can do really well in our society without deciding on any course of action just staying passive and aloof and you can even look really cool Really cool, really smart. You can't follow Jesus that way. You just can't. Because he'll always be calling you to a decision. Do you trust me or not? Do you trust me or not? That will be his in-your-face question. Do you trust me, Peter? Who's bigger, Jesus or wind? Jesus or waves? Who's bigger? Uh, A moment ago I was sure, but Jesus waves, Jesus waves, Jesus waves. You need to decide. You've got to to engage the will. You can't postpone it forever with faith. You can't postpone it to the point where you actually never make the call. Many of us, we, we imagine that you can. We imagine that we're waiting for more information before we make a decision to follow. And to be sure, you do. You must have information before you make a good decision. But sometimes we've actually got the information plenty. But we're kind of saying, I just need a bit more, a bit more, a bit more. And I tell you, the information you're going to get will diminish in its significance. It's like this when people get married or don't get married. Sometimes I talk to, to young guys and say, are you going to propose to her? Yeah, I'm just trying to suss out if she's the right one. Well, you've been going out her for five years, so I, I think you've probably got all the information you need, actually. Well, I'm just trying to suss it out. You know what, you don't need that long. If, if you've known her for that long, you know enough. In fact, most of the time, I, I got to know my wife, I knew whether I wanted to marry her within hours. I'm not saying I knew her completely because I've been married 20 years. I still don't know her. It's still a mystery. And that's a good thing. But, but for the actual decision of whether to marry her, for the decision of whether to follow Jesus, the decision on whether to follow what he says right here, you might be saying, yeah, well, I need to decide. I need to be sure. I need to have all the information. You might actually not need more information. You might know everything you need to know, Really really, and the issue isn't with the intellect, it's not with the information, the issue is with the will, are you going to trust him, it's, it's actually with you, are you going to make that step and trust him, and I wonder if that's the case for some of us here today, that we've we never even put our trust in Jesus, we never put our lives in his hands, we never said Jesus you can have my life, I trust you. And you might say, yeah, I don't really know yet. It's my first time in church. Give me a break. I get that. I, and by all means, just keep coming. Please, just keep coming. But I reckon there's several here. You know that's not, that's not your problem. You know enough. And it's time now. It's time to make that call. It's time to decide. And Peter, Peter he's in this process at this part of his story. He's still learning. He's still seeing. I, I've got to trust him. <laughs> And also, he, 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 to be fair, and I'll close with this, I want to just point out, he does get this part right. He gets it really right. He calls out to Jesus, right? He cries out to him. I suppose we all would if we're falling under the waves. You cry out for help, don't you? But the problem is, sometimes in our doubting, we don't realise the danger we're in, and so we don't cry out. He cries out, says, Lord, save me. If you're in a stage of your life where you're doubting and you're wrestling with, can I trust him? Is he real? Is he true? Can I really believe in him? Have you cried out to him? I wonder. Have you cried out to him? And I mean it, really. Have you got some time in your diary? Have you sought him? Have you got up early and gone out of your house if necessary? knelt down next to your bed and just cried out given time to it you ever done that have you cried out God please speak to me help me I'm struggling I want to I want to know you more help my unbelief overcome my unbelief overcome my doubts because doubt is nothing to be lazy about doubt can be helpful if it Drives you in your questioning towards truth. Then doubt is a tool. Doubt is a very helpful tool. But doubt is not a good home. It's not a place to stay. And sometimes we can be so complacent we become content with that. We just think, oh, the normal the normal Christian way is just to doubt everything. I mean, to be honest, you can get away with saying that. Some Christian books even suggest it. Bad Christian books, I wouldn't recommend. We'll we'll, we'll tell you. Yeah, it's best just to be, you know, just just be agnostic. Let's just be speculative. It sounds kind of cool, but we're basically terrified of anything this book says. We don't allow for any any conviction, any certainty. You can't actually. You know, you can't live that way. You can't live your life fundamentally doubting everything. You physically can't do it. You've got to get to a place of closure on some things. Otherwise, you can't even get out of bed. You've got to. And the good news is you can. You can. You can come to know that he is the son of God. Not just maybe, but you can know it. He says, I've come that you might have life. He's he's come to give certainty. He says, I am the truth. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. His disciples said to him in John's gospel, we have come to know that you are the son of God. Wow, it's possible. It's more than possible. It's intended. And so, I wonder: Have you cried out to Him? Are you doing that? Are you making a habit? If you say, "Well, yeah, I'm struggling with doubts. I'm not really sure. Oh, I'm just struggling at the moment. I'm not really sure." Well, get up early tomorrow morning, then. And call out to Him. Will you do that? Don't 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 just be the classic normal. Every other 21st century predictable. Just so original for being really doubtful. Who cares about you if that's your attitude? It's just boring. It's a waste of time. You're, wasting, you're just wasting your life. And you think it's cool. There's nothing cool about it. No other generation in history has been so besotted with doubt, fetishizing it as if it's something amazing. You, you, no, it's just ridiculous. It speaks of a leisurely, luxurious culture, it's embarrassing. Cultures that have achieved great things, have done great things. have I been mean, people who got conviction in their gut. They believed in something enough to fight for it, suffer for it, go through pain for it, work hard for it, get up early. Because there's something real in the world It's worth fighting for. There's someone who rose from the grave on Easter Sunday. He died and he rose and he's real. And and people went to the lions for him. People burned at the stake for him. People wanted this book in your language so much in this city that they got burned alive so you could have it. How dare we drift through our lives caring nothing about whether there's such a thing as truth. It's disgusting. It's completely incongruous. Wake us up, holy God, have mercy on us. Help us to see this. This this is precious that we should know the truth and the truth should set us free. If you're struggling with doubt, I dare you, get to God. Say, God, please speak to me. Make me a man or a woman of conviction. Give Give me a soul. Give me a heart. Give me passion. Give me hope. Give me drive. I don't want to waste my life. I believe in you. I want you, I want my life to count. Let's pray. Jesus, we wanna come to the table, Lord, not as spectators, Lord, as perpetual speculators and opinion exchanges. We wanna come to the table as those who are dumbfounded by the wonder of what you've done, the truth of God in the flesh, Flesh that was given, broken for us. Blood that was poured out for us. God, teach us not to be trivial. We want to be a people who are, Lord, marked by conviction. In such a day as this, when we're drifting as a culture, Lord, let us be set apart by deep conviction the reality of Christ and help us to give our lives in Jesus name maybe you're ready to come to the table you're a Christian you know that you love Jesus and you're wondering perhaps how should how should I take bread and wine take it like Peter would tell you to take it as a weak person who needs a savior right Come, come to the table and remember, Jesus, Jesus lifts Peter out of the water. He lifts him out, he takes him out, he rescues him. In all of his weakness, all of his embarrassment, all of his drenchedness, Jesus rescues him from it. Come and enjoy and receive the grace of Jesus. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian, don't come and take bread and wine. Not yet. Come and talk to us instead. We'd love to help you and explain it to you more and pray with you. We'll do that uh, if you if you like this evening. Let's stand together and uh, let's respond in worship.